0: Right, so if you have your Bibles, um, if you could uh, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, this morning, we come to a very interesting portion of Scripture. Paul has written the book of 1 Timothy to Timothy, who's a young pastor at a church called Ephesus. And, uh, and over the last three weeks, two weeks, um, uh, two weeks ago, to, is that three weeks? Over the last three weeks, if you count this one, is it, if this is three, and we go back to past two, is it the last three weeks? Okay, so that's what it is. The first one, we had a look at um, honoring widows. Do you remember that? Honoring widows. Then the next one, which was last week, it was honoring elders. And this one, Paul says to Timothy something that uh, very few leaders have ever said um, in this context. And he talks about honoring masters. all right? Honoring slave masters. Now, the issue of slavery in the, in the old world was very different to the issue of slavery that we think of. When we think of slavery, the picture we have is um, slave ships coming to Africa, raping Africa of their people and taking people into Europe or into the Americas and treating people as worth, uh, worthless um, or subhuman. Okay? That's the picture we have of slavery, which is a true picture of what happened. But it skews the picture of slavery in the first century. Because if we, if we approach the issue of slavery thinking modern day or slavery of 200 years ago, we, we won't quite understand the context of what is spoken about over here. So slavery in the first century or in the Greco-Roman world, uh, there were about 60 million slaves at the peak of the Roman Empire. 60 million. That's more than the population of our country. Uh, these were slaves. What would happen is to feed this Roman machine, this Roman Empire... Um, you needed uh, weaponry, you needed soldiers, and you needed food for your soldiers. So the way to get the food is, as you uh, conquer a city, is you go into the city and you just steal all of their food and you take all of the the harvest that they're about to harvest, and you use that to feed your soldiers. Um, And that's great, except that when that food's finished, it's over. So what they would do is they would take the land, and then they would have slaves um, farm the land so that the food could feed the army. Okay? So if you, if, if you wanted to fight against the Roman Empire, one thing you had to do is just burn down all the farms. The problem is that the farms were farmed by people who were your people who were also eating off that land. Okay. Second thing you could do is now we need some soldiers. So where do you get the soldiers from? Well, the soldiers weren't all Roman. See, they weren't all Roman. The Roman citizens were living in Rome, and some of them were uh, commanding officers in the army. But the cannon fodder, you know the guys at the bottom who just get thrown in? They were... They were either slaves or they were citizen, uh, citizens of other nations that they would bring in and they would just give them the the, the, the sword and the shield and chase them in to battle. So they would all die, okay? So often you'd have a situation where, yeah, you've got the guy with the shield and the sword and he's running into battle and there's his mate that he played, you know, in the jungle gym with. And he's fighting against his own mate. So that's how you staff your, your army. You'd also get slaves to make the weaponry for you. So you would just get all the blacksmiths from the surrounding sou- uh, towns that... You'd, conquered. You'd bring them all together and put them into a factory, and they'd be making all of your, uh, your weaponry. And so slavery was the thing that actually kept the Roman Empire going. And that's why there were so many slaves. Part of the, the whole dream of the Roman Empire wasn't just to increase territory, but it was also we have to increase territory to get more slaves so that these slaves can make us great and so that we can increase territory. To increase territory, we need more slaves. To make territory big. To make territory big, we need more slaves. So it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. At one point, the Senate wanted to force all slaves living in Rome to wear a separate uniform so that you'd know who the slaves were. They were going to dress in a specific robe. And then they discovered how many slaves, from one-third to one-half of all citizens living in Rome, were slaves. And so they were like, hang on here. If we make all these guys wear uniforms... All the slaves are going to know how many slaves there are. And if they know how many slaves there are, are, they'll revolt against us. And that's a bad idea. Okay, they won't wear the the separate uniform anymore. So they didn't let them wear that uniform. So the introduction of Christianity into this cultural milieu means that when Paul comes in and says that in Christ there is no more Greek or Jew, male or female, slave or free get that yeah you have on Sunday slave sitting next to slave master but on Monday through Saturday master over slave now this creates a bit of a problem because as the master who's standing next to the slave on Sunday worshiping Jesus hearing a sermon about care and love and forgiveness and kindness and then he walks out of that and he treats his slave harshly or tells his slave to do something. And the slave's like, oh, but hang on. Weren't you in church on Sunday? Were you not taking notes? Was your battery flat in your iPhone? Did you not take a photo of the screen? Did you not get that? And he has this master going, but I have to tell him what to do, but actually he's a Christian and I'm worshiping next to him, but actually I'm over him. So it it was quite complex. In the world that we live in today, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that no one's sitting next to their slave right now. If you know of something like that, you need to let me know, all right? And I know that while we say that a little bit lightly, slavery is very real in the world that we live in. Do you know that there are more slaves in the world today than at any other point in human history? More slaves. And I know when we think of slaves, we're like, oh, well, they must be like, I don't know, in India or Pakistan or... China I mean look at the lovely shoes they made me that's what we you might think but here in our town there are slaves right here in our town there are slaves there are those who were brought here on the lie that they'd be able to find employment and when they got here they discovered that that was a lie their passport and ID documents were taken and men are in forced labor in our own city and women are exploited sexually in our own city for profit of slave traders And those people are traded amongst people as well. It is happening in our city today. And so slavery is still a real thing. But how do we apply this text that we're going to have a look at, which deals with slaves and masters, how do we apply that to our own lives? Because we could leave here today and go, well, that was really encouraging, Matt. You said we must treat our slaves with respect. I don't have any slaves. That's why I spent the rest of the sermon daydreaming. Some of you might say, well, I need to treat my master with respect. Well, I'm not a slave and I don't have a master. So um, I don't have to apply anything to my life on this. So I spent the rest of my day daydreaming. But slavery in the first century was very much like employment is today. Because the slave master, while he could trade in slaves, and while he could be very harsh with his slave, for instance, if a slave ran away and he was caught, the slave master would carve an F on his forehead. A big F with a knife, carve it on his forehead. So everybody would know that he's a fugitive. you will be able to do that. Latin w- Word that we get fugitive from start with an F as well, and carve an F on his forehead. He could have his slave crucified if he wanted to. He could beat his slave. He could kill his slave if he wanted to. But the norms of society limited how strict slave owners were on their slaves. It was kind of frowned upon. You didn't really want to hurt your slave. Just think about it. It would be like it would be like you taking your laptop. All right, it's a Windows. Laptop, Because Mac laptops don't do this. And it's a Windows laptop, and it freezes. Blue screen. And then you take it, and you just slam it on the desk. And you just break it into pieces. Well, the person who's next to you in the office looks at you and goes, that is inappropriate. Because now you don't have a laptop. So to take a slave and kill my slave, your neighbor goes, man, that's so inappropriate. Because now you don't have a slave. Now... Who turns the sand? You? Who does it now? So so culture kind of limited what was done, but people were still severely cruel to their slaves. However, it was better in some cases to be a slave than it was to be in employment. Because if you had slaves in this time, you would look after your slave by giving him a place to stay. right? So you would give him accommodation. You would give him food. You would make sure that he is well Okay, Because if your slave looks good, it's a reflection on your status. Okay? So you made sure that he's wearing branded attire. Okay, um, You make sure that he's healthy, because if you ever want to sell him or her, they need to be healthy. So you made sure that your doctor, who was also probably a slave, looks after the slaves. However, your employees... You give them a place to stay, you give them clothes, you give them food, and then at the end of the month when you pay them, you take those things off. You charge them rental, you charge them for food, you charge them for clothing. And the money that they got was far less than the money that a slave got. So slaves often earned more than those who were employed. And so slaves were able to save up, and then they could buy back their freedom. Imagine that. slave. And this is why I'm saying that current slavery that we've seen in the movies you can't read back into the New Testament that slavery equals this slavery because the slavery we've seen in America in the previous centuries, a slave could not earn money and buy back his freedom. But in the New Testament time a slave could. He could earn enough money and save money so he could buy back his own freedom. If you were a Jewish slave and you had a Jewish slave master, every six years you had to set your slaves free. So there's a the guy, he's a slave. And what would happen is perhaps uh, I, lend, I loaned money from Lawrence and, uh, and I couldn't pay it back. Then what I would do is I would sell myself into slavery. I owe Lawrence 125,000 Rand. I can't pay it back. I sell my slave, myself into slavery and work for Lawrence. He pays me a salary and, and that gets used to pay off my debt. And when my debt's paid, if it's paid off before six years, I get to go free with my family but if it's not then after six years he has to set me free anyway so what he would do is he would work out 125,000 divided into six years this is how much I'm going to pay him and and I I could I could work for him and be set free if I had family he had to set my family free as well so your your wife and your children if you came into slavery with them when you were set free or sold your family had to go with you not like modern day slavery but if 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 Lawrence gave me a wife, if he bought me and he bought this woman and he said, she can be your wife, when Lawrence sells me, he doesn't have to let her go with me because she's his property. You see how weird it was? So how do we take this text of 1 Timothy that's going to talk about slaves and masters and apply it to where we are? Many commentators, when commenting on this, draw parallels between the slavery of that day and employment of today. That the principles that Paul speaks about can be um, bridged across to the principles of employment today. And this is where we want to land this thing is: What can we learn from what Paul says to slaves and slave masters? What can we learn about being employees and being employers? Can we learn from the two? Because you'll see, we can learn from those two. Work is tough. It enables us to provide for our families but often it can separate us from our families. South African uh, history has got a terrible reputation of people who are migrant laborers, taken away from their families and families growing up without parents. And so work can take you away. It can split friends. It can break up, and, uh, uh, break up families and it can, can burn out people as well. But the question we want to ask ourselves is, was it always meant to be like this? Was work always meant to be like this? Was it always meant to be so hard? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that everyone here who's working could put up their hand and go, you know what, work is tough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've got a Christian boss. It doesn't matter if you're earning a million Rand a month. It doesn't matter if you're earning 5,000 Rand a month and you've got a boss who's not a Christian. Work is tough. All work is tough. Was it meant to be like that? See, right in the beginning, God creates and on the sixth day, The Bible says God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve. And then he says to them, go forth and multiply, subdue the earth, all right, and have dominion over it. Go and work it. You're going to go and work this land. You're going to go and work this earth. You will have charge over earth. And then God says, this is very good. He said it's good. Everything else is good, except after he created man. And told man and woman, I've got a plan and a purpose. You go and work it. Then God steps back and he goes, it is very good. Which included work. You're like, what God said? Me striving so hard is very good. No, because when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we find the four. This is where we find Adam and Eve eating from the tree. And this is where we find God taking them out of the garden of Eden. And this is where we find God cursing them and saying to Adam, from this day, work will be hard for you. From this day, every, all your crops, you're going to have to go and make sure that weeds don't grow in there. Because from this day, the weeds will grow there. From this day, water won't just arrive to the plant. From this day, you'll have to go get water and water the plant. From this day, woman, from this day, says to Eve, you and your offspring will have pain in childbirth. This is part of the curse of sin but it's not always going to be like that because one day in the future when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible says that in that new earth where we will live, there will be work, there will be labor, except there it will not be hard anymore. You take the very best parts of what it means to work. You're like, well, Matt, the very best parts of what it means to work. Yes. The very best parts, like that feeling of being productive, like that feeling of being valued because you you are doing something on the team that others don't do. The feeling of wanting others to be with you because by yourself, you can't do what they can do. And so as a team, we're together. The building of relationships, all these good things that come with employment, that get really messed up in a world of sin. Value gets overvalued, so I see my worth in my job And one day when I retire or am retrenched, I feel like I'm worthless because I don't have that job anymore. Or the relationships that break down in the office, that's because of sin. It's not because God said it is good. The good things that come out of that, that's from God. The bad stuff, that's because of sin. And one day all the good things will be there and none of the bad things. We've got something to look forward to, guys. We've got something to look forward to one day. We're not going to be hanging out on, on, on clouds playing harps, right? Like that, that's not going to happen. And we just, forever, you just don't get blisters. Forever, you learn how to play the harp. That's not God's eternal plan that all of us learn how to play the harp. God's eternal plan is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will work this earth, there'll be no sin. And in this new earth, it will be great, right? That, so if you're lazy and you don't like work, you should get that sorted out. That's, you need to get that one sorted out. So let's have a look, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It'll be on the screen behind me, verses 1 and 2. Very short, but here, this is where we go. Let all who are under a yoke of, or yoke as, and in your version it might say bond servants, it might say slaves, it might say servants. The original actually means slaves, okay? Straight out slaves. So those of you who are under a yoke as slaves, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. What? And I don't want you to just glance over this. I want you to try and feel what it must have been like to be a slave in first century Rome. Or Ephesus. This is written in Ephesus. So here we go. It's not a big group like this. It's a little group. It's you guys. All right? Just, just you. Not you. You. Not You. You. And the letter comes and Timothy's going to read the letter from Paul. And some of you are slaves, right? And you're sitting over there and, and you're thinking like, man, this has been a hard week. And I just worked the whole day yesterday until we couldn't see anymore. And now, fortunately, I'm allowed to come to church. But I've had to ask my master and he want, I've got to go back and work double shift because I'm now in church. And, and Timothy goes, right, slaves, I've got something for you. And, and the slaves amongst you, your ears prick up and you're like yeah, yeah yeah yes yeah paul remembered us paul's gonna say something to us and i'll go yes here we go that all of you who are under a yoke as slaves and the slaves like yes yes regard your own masters yes as worthy of all honor what what even to get here I have to work a double shift. I'm only going to be in bed tonight at 10 o'clock so that I could be here for one hour of reading this letter that you just got from Paul. Who's this poor guy anyway? I don't even know who he is. Do you, know, do you know him? No, I don't know him, but I know your master. He's a dog. Yeah, but do you know who's this guy, Paul? No one knows who this poor guy is. He hasn't even been here. We don't know who he is. Now I've just come to know Jesus, and while they're getting cross, it's a slave owner in front of them who's a Christian. And they going, just don't need this, it's too loud. Because he knows your master, you can talk. Don't shh, don't say anything. Maybe he sells you to my master. It'll be—I know—it's going to be bad. Can you imagine feeling that in church? Some of you, you get frustrated when the pastor's preaching and he's going, "You know what? You're in, there's sin in your life, and you need to confess your sin." You're like, "How arrogant!" That guy telling me I've got sin. Imagine being a slave and hearing this. My master treats me like dirt. And you say, I must treat him with honor? How can you say that? Why? So that the name of God and the teaching, or the name of God and the faith, or the name of God and what we believe, may not be reviled. Paul is saying, slaves, you guys now, just you, you honor your master, you honor your teacher, because... The reputation of the faith is at stake. That's why. I don't care that he's a dishonorable man. The reputation of the faith is at stake. You translate it back to 21st century East London. Those of you who are in employment, honor your bosses. Honor your bosses. Because the reputation of our faith is at stake if you dishonor your bosses and and the literal meaning is to think less of them if you dishonor them if you think less of them the reputation of the faith is at stake you see we just moved from the slaves there and there we'll come back to you later to all of you the reputation of the faith for Paul the reputation of the faith is big and it should be big for us The reputation of the faith, how I am out there. Inside here, it looks great. Slave and slave master sitting next to each other. But out there, slave and slave master, how do we do that? How do we do that out there for the reputation of the faith? Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful. Here we go. Think less or think down on them on the ground that they are brothers. Let's translate it back to the 21st century. Those of you who have Christian bosses, don't think less of them on the grounds that he's a brother and a, sis or a sister. I arrive at work a half an hour late, and he says to me, "Why are you late?" And I go, "Man, you know what? I had a quiet time, and it just went longer and longer." Now you put him in a position where he's going, "This is not acceptable." But you're having a quiet time. You're spending time with Jesus. You pull the Jesus card. You know, you spend time with Jesus. And and what about this one? Sorry, I know I'm not here this afternoon, but you know, I just, I had a meeting, you know, at the church. And so, I mean, I know you would understand because we go to church together. No, no, Paul's going, no, that's wrong. You can't, you can't do that because the reputation of the faith is at stake. Other people are watching in and they're going, did you see how Lawrence treats Matt? He's late, right? Because it was quiet time thing. What is that quiet time thing? Because I'm going to pull that tomorrow. I'm going to drop the kids off at school and I'm going to go home for some quiet time. And then I'm going to come to work at half past eight. And then I'm going to say to my boss, Lawrence, I'm going to say, you know what? I was having a quiet time. That's why I was late. So we put our bosses in difficult situations and they're believers. They're supposed to be treating the employees without favoritism and partiality. But what are we doing? We're making it more difficult for them because we're saying, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. You need to treat me better than you treat everybody else. That's actually what we're doing. It says, don't be respectful on the ground that they're brothers. Rather, they must serve those of us who work for Christian, um, uh, Christian people, Christian bosses. Remember that they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service. I need to, as a Christian, need to serve my boss all the more better because those who benefit from their good service, my good service, those bosses, they're believers and beloved. Like what? I work hard, that car buys another holiday house. That doesn't matter. You serve him well. You serve him well. Because the person who's benefiting, he's a believer. Yes, he's getting rich. She's getting rich. But she's a believer. And you know anyway that God's called rich people to be generous. And that's how the church grows as well. Great, I'm going to work so hard. I can't give the church 100,000 rand, but you can. When you make a million, you're going to tithe 100,000 rand. I just have to tithe my, you know, make a tithe off my 6,000 rand. That's fine. You're going to have to tithe off your million. I'm going to work so hard just to see you do it. (laughs) Yes, it applied to slaves back then, but it applies to us who work now. So we want to ask these two questions and very quickly jump through this. Question number one is why work? Why? Why does this have to happen? I've heard stories of believers who, or people who become Christians, they're like, you know what, God will provide. I mean, look what he says. The lilies of the field, the birds of the air, they don't worry. So I'm not going to worry because the Bible says don't worry in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry. You know, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, clothes, sleeping place, food, they'll be given to you as well. So I'm just going to come to church and I'm just going to worship Jesus and God's going to provide for me. No. Well, we'll see today that actually God's word talks about work and work's important. But then lastly, we want to have a look at this is how. So so how as Christians are we supposed to work? How are we supposed to? And then what about those of us who are unemployed and what about those of us who are retired? You're on the other side of work. Well, is the Bible applicable for you? So here we go. Number one, why work? Genesis chapter one and verse 28. Genesis chapter two and verse 15. Work is a divine institution. It means it was instituted by God. God made work. He made Adam and Eve. He said, go and subdue the land and, uh, and, uh, and look after it. And he said, he instituted this. So work is a, it's a God-ordained thing. We work because God said work. And that's why it feels so good when we work and when work goes well. It feels good because it comes from God and all good things come from God. And so we need to remember that this is a God thing. God God, God dreamed this up for us. He knew it's not good for us to just sit around and be lazy. He wants us to be productive. Secondly, it enables us to provide for our families. Do you remember the scripture we had a look at a few weeks ago in in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8? It says this, Anyone who does not provide for for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Give us the next one over there. I think the person who's doing the screen has just gone to the bathroom. Um. Oh, there we go. Great, back. Thanks. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 means this: if the bible says that i'm acting like an a pagan or an unbeliever who d- if i don't provide for my family how do i provide for my family work work is god-ordained and when i work i earn and when i earn i can provide for my family now what about those of us who've Perhaps been retrenched. And you're like, Matt, it's been two months. I can't earn anything. So I can't provide for my family. Are you saying I'm worse than an unbeliever? No, no. Sometimes we end up in situations like that because of the sin of others. Sometimes we end up in a situation like that because someone squandered the company's money and the company can't employ me anymore. It's not your fault that you're there. What you're learning from God and what you're teaching others who are watching you, this is how I trust God when it feels like there is nothing. And what you're providing for your family is a solid role model of this is what it looks like. This is how we do this. And I might not have a job now, but this is how we're going to trust God together. Thirdly, if you don't work, the Bible says you don't eat in 1 Thessalonians. It's like, let's just track this one. If you don't work, you don't eat. For those of us who are needy and we rely on others, does this mean I can just rely on others and do nothing? So you, you bring me the food, and I just stay at home watching TV all day. Or, uh, you know what, you bring me food and I just go on great casual walks every day and, uh, you know, hopefully I get a job and maybe I don't. I've got an application in at that place and they're going to see me at the end of the month. I know it's three weeks until the end of the month. You know what, you just give me. Well, this is what it says. It's saying if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. It means if people are helping you, you should help back. Th- that's what it means. So, So perhaps it could mean, then in the church's situation, if the church is helping you until you're able to help yourself, you should be coming in and going, is there anything I can do? Can I wash the windows? Can I vacuum the floor? Can, can I help organize some stuff? Can I do something? I'm good with my hands. I heard that you need to build a fence. Can I, can I come and do that? I'm good at sorting. I heard you guys have got a shop up the road that, that's a thrift store that sells clothes to the poorest of the poor. Can I go and so, help sort out over there? Do you get what I'm saying? So let me be productive because the Bible says if I'm not being productive, I shouldn't eat. So let me be productive. Let me, let me help and let me serve while I'm being looked after because it will change. Do you know there's a real interesting thing that happens with us? I'll touch on it just now. But there is an interesting thing that happens. Why do you think it is that it is easier to get a job when you're employed than it is to get a job when you're unemployed? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's like all of your, you're unemployed. You've been unemployed for three months and all your friends are employed. They're just moving from job to job to job to job to job. You're like, what is going on here? I need one of those. It's amazing, but it seems that when you're employed, you just seem to carry yourself a whole lot better in an interview than when you're unemployed. There's just another level of confidence that you have that someone who's unemployed doesn't have. There's a feeling of, yes, I have work, and I have product. I can be productive. But the person who's unemployed, maybe they've been unemployed for so long that they feel like they are worthless and that they are unproductive. There's something that happens in your mind when you're like that. So if you are unemployed, work, even if it's for free. I mean, it mustn't cost you because that's just that's going backwards. But if you're at home doing nothing, until you get a job, do something. Phone your mate who's got a factory if you have to and say, can I just come and sweep the floor in the factory? I'll do it for free. I don't have a job. I just need to be productive. Help. Can I please do that? No expectations. By the way, can I get a lift there? I don't have any petrol. (laughs) I don't know many people who would say no to that. And guess what? When a position opens up in a factory like that, who's the go-to guy? Who's the guy you're going to employ? The guy who you don't know or the guy who's been working for free for three weeks on your factory floor. The guy who's humbled himself, he's, he's, he's a manager. He's been managing factories. He's sweeping the floor, humbly, doing something. Who are you going to employ? You don't work, you don't eat. Fourthly, in order to share with those in need, Ephesians 4, and this is the craziest scripture when it comes to this kind of stuff. Look at this. The thief who becomes a Christian He should no longer steal. That's great advice. Let the thief no longer steal. It's like we allowed him to steal. You're a Christian. You're going to become a Christian thief now, right? We want you to infiltrate that. We're going to have a whole service of thieves, okay, for for you guys. It's going to be a whole congregation just for you guys. We don't want you with the other guys because you'll be taking stuff from them. It's a congregation just for thieves. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The purpose of work is firstly to provide for our family, but the purpose of work is to, to share with those in need. You see, sometimes we're only thinking this level. We're like, okay, the purpose for work is I need to provide for my family only. But when you become a Christian, your gaze lifts up and the horizon says, to share with those in need, to be generous with what we have, to impact the kingdom for generations to come. Can you see the difference? Are three guys, they're working in a quarry. And this guy comes up to them and he says, so what are you doing? The guy looks up at him and he says, I'm breaking rocks, this is backbreaking work. And he just carries on. Okay. The next guy says, what are you doing? He says, I'm chopping bricks for 200 200 Rand a month. I'm just chopping bricks. Okay. Says to the next guy, what are you doing? the guy turns around and says, if you want to know what I'm doing, I'm building a cathedral. Can you see how the gaze just lifts? The guy who's breaking the rock just for money or just, you know, he's angry. He's resentful towards his bosses. This guy, I'm making this brick to build a cathedral. See the difference? Friends, as Christians, that's what we do. Why do I work? To provide for my own family. Why do I work? To share with those in need. Believer, that's, that's what we aim for. Second, lastly, on why work? To bring fame to the name of Christ. To bring fame to Jesus' name. You see, this is what I wish. imagine. Imagine we can achieve the other one as well. It's a mission field. This is, this is your mission as well. It has to do with the fame of Christ in this. So imagine the IT guy meets with the CEO. All right? I'll be the IT guy. Lawrence will be the CEO. Okay, hello, Mr. Blaine. This is Mr. Francis. I'm okay, just giving you the report on IT usage here in the firm. He goes, okay, show me. And there's a graph. We should have made you the IT guy, Trevor. Anyway, there's this graph, and it's doing this. So where it's down... Mr. Blaine says, why is, it, why is it down in these parts over here? I see it's all high here, yeah, why is it down there? I go, Mr. Blaine, I'm, I'm, I actually asked the same question, but it seems that these guys have way less IT usage than those guys. So I dug a bit deeper, and I found that these guys, they, when they arrive at 8 o'clock, Facebook opens for that guy. For that woman, it's Facebook and Pinterest, boom, straight up. That guy over there, he's on Facebook, Pinterest, and News24, and, and and watch how much data is coming down on the that's why their data usage is so much. I mean everyone's using just the same amount of data on, on emails every day. But these guys, it's Pinterest, Facebook, it's News twenty four, it's Twitter, it's YouTube, look at the whole thing. And and I decided that we'd have a look at the time range when that happens as well. Watch what happens. I pulled out this guy over here and Mr. Blaine it went like this. Eight o'clock, boom, and then it drops. And then it goes up again and then it drops. And he goes, well, that's a ma- why did it drop? Well, that was tea time and lunch. And he's going, maybe we should have a policy on this. He goes, yeah, I should. He said, what about the other guys? He says, well, here's the thing. I looked at these guys, and 8 o'clock starts, and their computers light up. Boom. And then it starts going, and it drops a little bit. Well, what happened there? Well, they just checked all the emails. And, and then it goes up again at 10 o'clock. Yeah, that's when they responded to all the emails. And then lunchtime, it peaked a little bit. Yeah, they they went on Facebook there, okay. And then five o'clock, it drops off. Yeah, that's when they went home. So you know what I did, Mr. Blaine? I kind of checked out, like, who are these people? You're not going to believe this, but those are the Christians. They're not stealing your daughter. They're doing their job. They're doing their own personal stuff at lunchtime. But the rest of the time, they're working for you. But then I thought I'd show you this as well. He has the telephone bell right so you take a look at the telephone ball and, and, and have you noticed on the telephone ball the same people who are using a lot of data they're making a lot of phone calls and those people over there see it's really low they're obviously not doing their job no they are doing their job these guys just never phone home they never phone their spouses they're using their own cell phones for that they're christians as well that's how we should be at work for the fame of christ I know some of you are bosses, and I can see the bosses because your eyes have gone like utopic. You're like, oh, wow, that would be amazing. Just imagine my employees were all doing their job and not on YouTube the whole day. That would be amazing. I just see it as I'm looking across. The other side is also true. Some of you, you're, like, you're on Facebook and Pinterest. You're going like, I just, uh, is he talking? he's not talking about me. <laughs> you're like the two slaves, like, it's me? Friends, this is our mission. This is the place where we spend most of our time. God has called us into this. If if work is God-ordained, do you think it's by mistake that God put you there? Do you think it is your luck? This is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. It might not be, but God put you there. God opened the door for you to be there. God has a plan for your life. God directs your steps. That might not be what you're going to do for the rest of your life, but while you are there, God wants you there now, and he wants to use you now. In that place. That's your place of mission. That's your mission field. You now, when you go to work in the morning, you should be going. I get to spend eight hours with these people, and I will probably spend more time with my colleague than their own spouse spends with them. Man, what an opportunity for me to get to know this person and share Christ with this person and let them know that even when they walk out that door, I'm still praying for them. It's my call from God. It's not by mistake that you got that. You're not like the guy who drives around. Looking for a parking bay, God, would you provide a parking bay for me? And then when one comes up, you go, okay, don't worry, I found one. It's not like that. It's not like, yeah, God, would you give me a job? You know, just God, please provide me a job. I know I've got a job now, but please give me a better job. God's going, you've got. You know what? Will you be honourable with what you've got? And if you're honourable with little, I will give you more. So, why work? I hope that answers some of that question. Let's close this one. How Paul writes to another two churches about this issue of slavery. The Ephesian church and the Colossian church. He says very similar things to both. So let's just head out in Ephesians. He says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have it. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart. As you would Christ. As you would obey Christ. So obey your master, obey your boss as you would obey Jesus. Not by way of our service or not only when they can see you, right? So when he goes off site, then you go to sleep. Or as people pleases, but as servants of Christ. Christian, we serve our bosses as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It changes the way you see your job now, doesn't it? Because now I'm not doing this for money. Now I'm doing this for Jesus. It's like a whole new level. You know, Someone just dropped the Jesus name in the middle of it. It's like a whole new level now. Rendering service with a good will, As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same then. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there will be no partiality with him. Colossians says a similar thing but at the end of it it says this to to the masters uh there's a scripture there you can browse through it but there's a verse that isn't there listen to this uh colossians chapter three and verse uh sorry chapter four says this masters treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven have you ever watched one of your managers treat one of your employees in a bad way have you seen how angry you get when that happens imagine jesus you also have a master. You might not know it, but you also have a master in heaven. And you're either going to be obedient to him and treat people fairly, or you're going to be disobedient to him and he shows no partiality. So here we go. John MacArthur, one of the commentators I was reading on this one of you, he gives a couple of points on this. He says this, when we're serving our bosses and when we are employees, here we go, serve obediently. Serve obediently. When you get asked to do something, do it. Serve completely. Serve completely finish what you were asked to start. Don't leave the stuff incomplete. Finish it. Serve respectfully. Respect your boss. And it's that age old thing. Why should I respect him? He's not respect worthy. You don't respect him because of him. You respect him because of Jesus. Because God said do it. So I'm obeying God. I'm going to honor this person because that's obeying God. Serve eagerly. Eagerly. You have a Ask somebody to do something and you can just see they're dragging their feet when they do it. Like if you're a parent, you know this one. You know, go clean your room. Drag your feet. Can you imagine what it must be, be like to be the manager or to be the employer? And he knows the job must get done and he's asking people in the team to do it and everyone's like, yeah, whatever. YouTube. <laughs> can you imagine what that's like. How hard that is? And then the day the guy loses it, then we're very quick to go, well, he doesn't understand my circumstances. If any he knew what was happening in my home today, then he would know why I'm so tired. He would know why I'm so tired. But we very quick to talk about that, but not actually find out why he responded like that. Maybe it's because he's so tired. Maybe it's because something happened in his life as well. Maybe it's because you're not the only one who's been dragging feet, but there are other people you don't know either. Do it eagerly. Do it with excellence. Because excellence motivates people. Nobody wants to be part of something that's not great. Everybody wants to be part of something that's great. Truly great. With excellence. So whatever your, little, your sphere of influence is, do it with excellence. Let it shine. Let the, let the meeting happen between you and the CEO. Or the whatever, your manager and the CEO. And, and the manager's going, man, I'm really struggling with this project. Blah, 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 blah. blah. But there's this one person. And let them use your name. Let them throw your name into that. I mean, your CEO of the company must be going, please don't tell me it's another Christian. Yes, actually it is. Oh, man. Um, And not another one. They prove me wrong all the time, these Christians. That's what you want. Serve diligently. Serve humbly. Sometimes you're going to be asked to do things that you don't think you should be doing. Sometimes you should be doing things that you think... You know, it's below you. Like, hey, I just gotta why do I have to park my car there? Because with my increase, I've got a parking spot there. So now there's other guy parking there. So why must I park there and walk all the way there? Well, this is why, because discovery gives you steps for that. So walk a little bit further. It doesn't matter. Be humble in what you're doing. And you got the you got the promotion. You don't have to buy the car that comes with the promotion. There's nothing wrong with your old car. Keep the car. Let people look in and go, man, that guy's amazing. He took that promotion. He didn't first thing he did, not got a new car. First thing he did is he gave a whole lot more money away. I read of a company where guys did this. Some managers came together and as they got increases, they decided to take their car allowance and pulled it and bought cars for the other employees who didn't have cars. What? How cool would that be? Man, I've got a car. There's nothing wrong with my car. It's fine. It's two years old. It's good. Brand, I mean, two years ago, it was on the shop floor. There's nothing wrong with it. But if I take my car allowance and we pool it together, we could buy not two cars, you and me, we could probably buy four cars with our car allowance. And there's four people who would have cars. Imagine that. Serve spiritually. In other words, see this as I'm doing this for Christ. It's for him. I'm not doing it for my boss. I'm doing it for Christ. Yes, I'm going out selling stuff, but... I'm going to sell as if Christ is my boss. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make appointments to meet with people because I'm going to give account to Jesus. When I go home at night and, I, and, and the lights go off, I want to lie down in my bed and go, Jesus, today i met with 10 people for you and tomorrow I'm aiming for 11. Oh, Jesus, this is all about you. Thank you for those opportunities and thank you for helping me out with those, those meetings that I had to have. That's what it means to be a believer because, here's the last one, We serve with eternity in mind. We serve with eternity, right out there, eternity. There's going to come a day where that boss who treats you like dirt, God holds him accountable. There will come a day. And there's going to come a day where God also holds you accountable for how you served that boss who treated you like dirt. There's going to come a day where us as bosses get held accountable for the way we treat our employees and how our employees treat us. You think you're being kind? Maybe you are, and you will be rewarded for that. As an employee, you think you're listening and you're serving well? Well, maybe you are. And maybe you'll be rewarded by that. But if we're not checking ourselves all the time, we can easily just slip into you know, the habit of employer versus employee. I do as little as possible. I fight against everything you say and always want more. As Christians, it should be different. Christian employers, we should be different. When the whole conversation was going on in our country a couple of weeks ago about minimum wave, w- wage, Christians should have been the ones to go, we agree. We agree. You're like, Matt, just hold on, just back off over here. You don't understand, I have X amount of people who work for me. If I paid them all more, I wouldn't be able to employ as many people. Yeah, but the goal is not to employ a whole lot of people on the poverty line. The goal is to try and help people get out of that poverty line. That's what it is. So if we're paying people 20 rand a day for eight hours work a day, that goes to 160 rand a day, which goes to about, is that about 800 rand a week? Are we right on maths here? 800 rand a week? Times four weeks, 1,200 rand? Is it possible to build generational capital on 1,200 rand? Am I right? Is my maths right? Is it possible to build, that's what I said, throughout a week, 3,200 rand a month. Is it possible to build generational capital on that? And this is what the conversation says. The conversation goes, yeah, but those people who are earning that; they don't have to pay a bond. Okay, well, why not pay them 10,000 Rand more so that they can pay off a bond? Then we can't use that one as an excuse and people have now got generational capital to pass on. I know it's tough, but if we're saying to people, well, you need to trust God for 10 Rand an hour, well, how about you trust God for the other 10 Rand and pay them 20? Okay. I'm just saying that because God says he's going to judge us for treating those who work for us unfairly. And sometimes people are not slaves, but they get paid like they are. Friends, as believers, we have to set the standard on this. For some of you, you're starting to feel like, I can't believe this, I'll just pulled that one again. And you're feeling uncomfortable. Maybe the prayer you need to be praying is this, God help me to pay my people better would you bless my company financially so I can pay people better? And God, when you do bless my company financially, I'm going to pay people better. That's my goal, God. Not 20 rand an hour, 25 rand an hour. That's the goal that I want to go to because we're believers. Matt, that's a very high standard. I know it's a high standard. The Bible always is. All right, as we close this out, what about pensioners and those who are unemployed? For those of you who are retired, this is a fantastic season to take the skills that you learned in the marketplace and plow them into the kingdom. The most effective churches on the planet have a monster team of pensioners and retirees who are pouring in what they've learned in the marketplace into um, into ministry. Some one day a week, some two, some three, some four days a week, as you have time. Here's an example. With Restore Trust at the moment, it has got so big that we need a CEO to run that thing. We can't afford that. Can't afford a CEO, right? Church can't afford to pay people what CEOs earn. But we need someone who can do that. Now imagine someone who's retired, was a CEO and knows how to be an operations director for an organization like that and says, do you know what? I'll give three days a week to that. I'm looking for something to do. I'll give three days a week to that. What? We get to have great skill like that and we don't have to pay for it. Or we can always just step back and go, well, you know what? Let's try to find money to pay for this. And we have to pay for it. Imagine if you could take your skill and pour it into something like that. Perhaps this week it means a phone call. Hey, Pierre, I just want to talk to you about this. Matt said something in the sermon. I just want to talk to you about this. Hey, Matt, can I talk to you about something you said in your sermon? Imagine we could do that. There is a, in this church, there is a wealth of experience like that. And I need you to know you have worth We need that experience. What happens if you're unemployed? And today you're going, Matt, that's brilliant. Treat your employees well. Treat your bosses well. I don't care who my boss would be. If I had a boss right now, I'd treat them well because I've been unemployed for months. Do you know that unemployment can be likened to grief, the grief process when you lose your job, you go through the same cycles that you go through when you go through the grief process. But not only that, also there's a trauma cycle that you go through as well. And so when you lose your job, You can firstly go into shock. Then you go into depression. And then after that, if you don't get a job very soon, you start to go into fatalism. In fatalism, you start to feel, I will never get a job. I am worthless. I have no hope. It will always be like this. When you're in a place like that, when you keep competing for the same job that someone else who is employed, you lose every time. Because you bring with you hopelessness. And the person who's employing you goes, I can't employ that person. And so when a time like that happens, friends, this is where we, as the body of faith, need to come around people. The Bible says this, I can't just say to you, before we get on to what the Bible says, I can't say to you, just have faith, you'll get a job. Because you know that, and so do I. But the Bible says this, that we have these shields. Faith is like a shield. And and when I trust God, it's as if I've got this shield that the enemy can't attack me with. I love the picture when you see the Roman soldiers. Remember the Asterix comics? Obelix and Asterix are walking down the road. And up ahead, there's a whole Roman legion. And they pack the shields on front, on the side, and on the top. And they're kind of moving forward to Asterix and Obelix. And then Asterix, um, he has a little drink of that that, uh, potion that he's got. And Obelix takes him and bowls him down the line. And then the next frame is just like spears and shields flying everywhere. That's not the picture I want you to focus on. Let's reverse back. And there's this one where the soldiers are like a tortoise. Friends, I so believe that there's a place when you're in a place where you need people to come around you. When you're in a place like this where you're just feeling hopeless and we can take you and shove you into the middle of that thing and we can put our shields of faith up around you and we can trust God for you when you feel like they can God. I've been trusting for so long. Can we come alongside you and say, come let us help you trust God together. That's what church is meant to be. But if you're going through the stage of your life without asking and out talking, we will never know. So it means being vulnerable again. And when you're feeling like you're in a place where you're just hopeless and you're good for nothing, to be vulnerable is very hard. Take one more chance at vulnerability. And let's trust God together. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross... The Bible says he hung on that cross. And Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And When I ask you this question, what was Jesus' job? Many would say, yeah, well, you know, his job was to be the Messiah. That's why Jesus came here after all. And that's true. But let's rewind three years to when Jesus is 30. And let's go back from 30 back to when he was a teenager. You know what Jesus was doing? He's a carpenter. Takes over his dad's business. And being a carpenter in those days wasn't an easy job. It's not an easy job today. But in those days, you couldn't just pop off to Vincent Hardware and buy yourself like 7 or 8, 38 by 114 by 6.6s and go, you know, we're going to build something with it. You couldn't do that. In those days, you had to make your way into the forest and chop down the tree. And then where the tree falls, you had to chop off all the branches and then you had to cut it into planks out in the forest. And then you had to carry all the planks back to your wood shop where you would cut them again and turn them into a table or whatever you're going to make. Nowadays, you just send a cutting list and it comes back in pieces like a puzzle and you just put the whole thing together. You could be brain dead and you could still make one of those things over there. It's really not difficult. But Jesus is working hard. Why? Because Jesus' dad died when he was very young and Jesus was responsible for looking after his mom. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, widows couldn't work. Jesus is looking after his mom. And he's looking after his brothers and sisters because he's the oldest. And he's working hard for the joy set before him. He then endures the cross. And Jesus says this, imagine you were a slave. And Jesus says, are any of you tired and weary? Come to you slaves on that side. Are any of you tired and weary? You're all tired and weary, by the way. All of you are because you worked until 10 o'clock last night, and tonight you're working late too. And you guys as well, right? You're really tired, because you're just thinking, I'm gonna have to work so hard when I leave this place. And I go, Jesus said, are any of you tired and weary? And you're like, yeah. Okay, so Jesus said this. Take my yoke upon you. You're like, what? What? Swap the yoke of my master to the yoke of this guy? What are you talking about? Become, I am a slave now. You told me I'm tired, I must become a slave? Jesus said this because it's easy. I'll give you rest. That's what Romans says. It says this. It says, you are a slave to the thing you're obedient to. Every single one of us are a slave in this building today. You're obedient to something. It might be your credit card. It might be your, uh, your it might be the market. It might be your own dreams and desires, but we're all slaves today. Jesus said this, take your, take your yoke the slave that you are under, the master that you submit to and exchange it for me. And now sin will no longer be your master, but righteousness will be your master. If you give your life to me, my yoke on you is easy and I will give you rest. Now let's pray together. Father, this morning as we close out, we are strongly aware that's as this was a complex issue in the times that your son walked the planets, it is a complex issue now. Our country has high rates of unemployment, and many in this building today find themselves unemployed, and many who are employed are not earning enough to even provide for their family and know they probably never will. God, please, I ask you, would you bless the businesses in this church so that the business owners and shareholders can be more generous? God, in the same way that Paul changed the hearts of slaves and, and, uh, and slave owners, he, he changed their hearts through the scriptures. God, would you change the hearts of shareholders and employers? God, I also pray for those of us who are believers and love you. As we submit to you, would we submit to those who are our bosses? Would we work hard for them? May they see something different in us. God, may this be a way that we extend the kingdom of Jesus. God, would you be famous because of the way the believers from this church especially and the believers a bit wider than that, the way that they serve their bosses. Would your fame be made great? For those who are employers, give them wisdom, Lord, as they have to manage staff. God, with those tough conversations, would you give them wisdom to have them? Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that... For those who don't know you, that today would be a day where they bow their knee and just say, Jesus, would you would you take over my life? I don't want to be obedient to sin anymore. I don't want sin to be my master. Jesus, would you be my master? Lord, we ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, today as we close out, if you if it is your heart to to hand over authority of your life to Jesus, we want to pray with you in the front. Perhaps you're in a place where you are unemployed and you need somebody to pray with you, we want to pray with you in the front. And so um, as everybody else makes their way out and uh, heads off for um, a cup of coffee, please slip to the front over here. We'd love to pray with you. God bless everyone.